evening, world. This is the podcast, Ask the Press, and your hostess, Laura Cattell, welcoming you back to the last few podcasts where we go over the Miracle Club from Mitch Harwitz. And we are nearly done with chapter 11. I do believe we will finish it off. And I thought there was a chapter 12, but there is not. There is an afterward one that we will do tomorrow. Because it's not very long. And then we're done. Okay, so. In this chapter, we've gone with why it works. You know, the mechanic... Because um, the original researchers for this were told, no matter how much evidence that you have, if you cannot come up with a working theory of how and why, you're not going to be taken seriously. Um... And it, it, I keep saying it, I should say the New Thought Movement, as it is coined, as it is termed, tends to cherry pick from the discoveries made through quantum theory, quantum physics, all that, whatnot. And the main crux of where people get the idea you can manifest and or as Neville Goddard said, select from available already existing, is the discovery that subatomic particles exist in an infinite anum- um, amount. Sorry, amount and number came out of my mouth at the same time and it just got garbled. In an infinite number of spaces at the same time until it is observed. And only then does it manifest in the space where it is being observed. That's where we get the idea of both selecting and manifesting, okay? You are already, or the thing that you want is already, has already existed, already exists. It exists somewhere out there. And then, of course, sorry, I don't, I don't want to get um, too far ahead of myself. All right, so it exists somewhere out there. That is where we get the idea from, or where we get the um, backup from, from the scientific community. It still makes it difficult, and we've gone over this multiple, multiple times, because um, in manifesting, what are we taught to do? Not to mess with the cursed house. What does science want? Science wants to know how. So there's... Until we can learn some better methods to be able to experiment and or have those experiments be taken seriously by the scientific community with energy, uh, the ethereal, um, the soul, the mind. I mean, it's... I mean, I've gone over this before ad nauseum. And I'll go over it again because so many people keep seeming to not understand this paradox that exists within every person, okay? Every human being thinks... How? How does one think? Do you know how you think? Do you know what steps the body takes to think? Is it your brain that thinks? Is it your mind that thinks? Is it the body that thinks? Is it the soul that thinks? And then you get to a thought. We think a thought. What is a thought? A thought is a non-thing that is a thing. It both exists, and at the same time, you cannot prove it exists. 
Hmm? Okay. It takes up space, but it has no mass, and it has no volume that you can measure. To think a thought is literally magic. You are creating something from nothing. And every human being makes about 70,000 of them every single day. And no one bothers to stop and think, how do we think? Now, so far, we can measure the waves that thought gives off and the energy that thought gives off. But we're so, so, so still in the early infant stages of understanding any of this. So I want you to just really contemplate that, okay? A thought both exists and does not exist at the same time. Do you understand? You know it exists because it's there in your head. You can see it, you can hear it, you can feel it, you can visualize it. But you can't prove that it exists to anybody else. They simply have to take your word for it. Hmm? Right? And there lies the conundrum. When you're dealing with thoughts, thinking, mental, the mental mindscape, the only way that you can judge what's actually happening in there is by its physical effect on the outside world. You can't tell if the person's doing it correctly. You can't tell if there's really any other beliefs that are inhibiting the thoughts that you're trying to have to manifest the thing that you want in your life. Because you can't see what's going on behind the curtain. Yet. I don't know, I'm really hopeful. We have some fantastic and amazing things coming out of the medical field lately. Fantastic things. And yet, just like we haven't actually explored even one-tenth of our oceans because of the problem of depth and, and uh, being crushed, right? The deeper you go, the harder it is, and yet we find life down there. We're not sure how, we're not sure why, but when we go down there, we end up getting crushed because the weight ends up crushing us. We can't even go to the bottom of the Marianas Trench. We can go to outer space easier than we can explore the depths of our own planet. For the exact same reason, we can only scratch the surface of mental problems, mental uh, mechanics, mental anything. Because we can't go see the other side of it yet. We're getting to, but we are so far away. So, 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 so far away. So, we left off yesterday describing, or rather, going through Mitch's theory and he's taking us from where he was to how he gets his the idea of time collapse and all that kind of stuff. We went over his three... Uh, examples of his story. I, I gave my example of mine. Again, I don't particularly consider them evidence of what he calls a time collapse, but there is an element of timelessness within the examples that he provided. I can't completely say that it has nothing to do with time because it can't. It's precognition. 
And again, science still doesn't have a very, uh, oil. Uh, we have an answer for why it happens. Science is not satisfied with the current answer that we have for why it happens. Let's just put it that way. And we even got to the, um, mind-blowing assertion from, where was it? Robert Lanza, Chief Scientific Officer of the Estellus Institute for Regenerative Medicine, <laughs> has argued that death itself is ultimately a mental phenomenon because we, the mind perceives demise. And of course, we went over the extrapolation of how would you even experiment to prove that particular theory one way or the other. And I didn't come up with anything that was anything short of basically cruel and unusual punishment because human beings are social creatures. We need other people. <laughs> so, and I'm not sure how you would test that. But, according to the science, and according to what's out there, he does have a point. Or at least he has a very valid question that we're not sure how to answer yet. So let me go find... Where was I? Hold on. Okay. Okay, so we also went over Schrodinger's cat. Which, you know, that got... Then you get even more into the... Oh my god, my head's going to explode. Where we understand because of the... Heh. <laughs> Alright, so contrary to all reason, quantum theory holds that opposing outcomes simultaneously, ex simultaneously exist. So the cat is both dead and alive at the same time. Both outcomes have the potential to happen. And that's another problem within quantum physics. I'm going to read it again as he wrote it. In the parlance of quantum physics, an atomic scale particle is said to exist in a wave state, which means that the location of the particle in space-time is known only in probability. It has no properties in this state, just potentialities. Just potentialities. You can't even locate it, because it exists in a w as a wave. It exists only as potential, probability, not a rock-solid location which you can lock onto. So, both extremes exist at the same time, which is where we get the Schrodinger's cat experiment. Or theory, I guess we should say. Okay, so we're... Hang on a second. Mm, sorry. And then I completely missed that all-important bit is the other flip side to that is with infinite possibilities, then comes the mind-blowing uh, multiple worlds, multiple universes, multiple realities. Right? Because if infinite possibilities exist, does that mean that both possibilities happen at the exact same time and in one reality the cat's alive and in another reality the cat is dead? Hmm? Going back to Schrodinger's experiment? That's, that's the issue. Because 
just those few bits of questioning opened up so much of a larger parameter out there that it's really hard to grasp. Really hard to grasp. Alright. So, we left off yesterday at uh, the theory of information leakage. And the theory of information is, or excuse me, the information leakage is, uh, where is it? That quantum theory or quantum activity exists all around us and it governs reality. However, when we step away from whatever instrument we are using to measure microparticles and begin looking at things in larger frames and forms, we see less and less of what is really going on. We experience, quote unquote, a leakage of data. I, I don't know if I would call that leakage. Just less and less awareness. Once, when we can look through a microscope at whatever's being measured and we can see what's really going on under, under the scope, it's just like a magic trick. Except in reverse. In quantum physics, the closer you look, the more you see. And the uh, more you zoom out, the less you see. In a magic trick, the closer you look, the less you see. And the more you zoom out, the more you see. See, the magician's trick is to get you to focus on something that he's doing over here so you don't notice the other part of the trick that's going on over here. And that's how he gets you. Um, okay, so we went over that and we left off at the possibility of many worlds, which is why uh, the subsection was titled Multiple Worlds. And so we're going to pick up there today. And before I go any farther, my shout out to the restaurant industry, all my guys and gals out there in Foodland. Thank you for all you do. Thank you for all you've done and all you're still doing. And still going through. And thank you for showing up. Thank you for still doing. Thank you for still going. Thank you. And if you're feeling stressed, overworked, overwhelmed, and you can't take it anymore, please, 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 please. Take a walk, take a bath, take a shower, take a smoke. But don't do something you can't take back. Please don't quit. Please don't quit. Alright. So. <laughs> I'm going to go back over the last paragraph I believe I left off at yesterday so we can segue into today's and we are off to the races. So. Only future experiments will determine the broader implications of particle phenomena in the visible world in which we live. For now, however... Decades of quantum data make it defensible to conclude that observation done on the subatomic scale, one, shapes the nature of outcomes, two, determines the presence or absence of a localized object, and three, possibly devises multiple pasts and presence. This last point is sometimes called the many worlds interpretation, in the words of physicist Hugh Everett. This theory of many worlds raises the prospect of an infinite number of realities and states of being, each depending on our choices. 
The flexibility of time and the possibilities of many worlds are not so far out when considering that Einstein's theory of light speed and time, which have now been proven, demonstrate that time does slow down as a physical fact for an entity moving near or at light speed. This is called time dilation. Light speed outstrips the horizon of time. Some physicists have further theorized the existence of tachyons, particles that surpass light speed. If you've ever watched uh, Star Trek, you'd understand the term tachyon. T-A-C-H-Y-O-N. If an object surpasses light speed, it moves along a time continuum so immeasurably fast that it can be said to occupy all points at once. The object has effectively obtained omnipresence. Right? Went back. The subatomic particle technically exists in infinite points of possibility at the same time until it is observed, and then it manifests in the place where it is being observed. So tachyons are particles, they're theories right now, tachyons are particles that surpass light speed. So if you can surpass light speed, you would, you would attain this state of infinite possibility being at all points at the same time. So you could literally pick which point you wanted to start from and go to, and you would show up there in an instant. Not like the warp speed that you remember from like Star Trek and all that kind of stuff, but way more advanced. Stuff to ponder. The nonlinear nature of time is also suggested in experiments outside of quantum physics. Recall the EEG experiments of researcher Dean Radin from Chapter 4. In those experiments, among others, Dean and his collaborators at IONS found that under certain conditions, vital signs in the brain, skin, and heart demonstrate a sentiment of stimuli, such as light, sound, or touch, before those stimuli actually get delivered. Hmm. Dean and his colleagues reported on their EEG experiments in a 2011 paper in the journal Explore, noting that the common-sense notion of a unidirectional flow of time might be a facade, an approximation of a deeper reality in which both past, present, and future, excuse me, in which both past and future influence the present. I added the word there. My bad. Hmm. Now that's interesting. That would flip current convention on its head, or the or um, the teachings of the Buddha, um, Hindu, all those teach you to be present in the moment, and the past and the future do not exist. He's theorizing or putting forth. I'm going to say that sentence again in totality so you can understand the difference. The common sense notion of a unidirectional flow of time might be a facade an approximation of a deeper reality in which both past and future influence the present. Now, 
physically, your body, you, you, the you that is listening to me right now, only exist in this moment. You don't exist in the past, you don't exist in the future. And yet, your thoughts can go into the past and into the future. Therefore, you have, on one le at least one level, a energetic link to both. That is fascinating. Continuing. This also raises the question of whether the present can influence the past. Of whether linearity is an illusion and cause and effect runs in all directions. Not just back and forth, left to right, all directions. Time may be less like a straight line than a rotating, infinitely dimensional wheel, spinning out past, present, future as one symbiotic system. We experience linearity only when we view life as an isolated fragment or snapshot. And here we encounter the frustrating but resilient thesis of positive thinking, which is that our thoughts, in some greater or lesser measure, determine our experience. Perhaps a better way of looking at it is that our thoughts select among infinite, nonlinear experiences, like a matrix grid that isolates a moment in space-time and hence determines that as reality, as the seemingly sole outcome, experience, or memory. If our thoughts and feeling states can be understood as sensory, as sensory devices, then they can be said to measure things and inform our experience. And he makes sure to italicize measure. Why? Because subatomic particles only exist when they are measured, noticed, looked at, observed. So if the mind itself can be the tool of measure, then the reality that you are impacting can literally be selected because of the mind's ability to measure. You can now select from all the other infinite experience that is, experiences that exist out there simultaneously, and just because you put your focus on it, you're measuring that, quote-unquote measuring, that particular thing, therefore you are creating the observed within your reality. I hope I just said that right. Now you understand why so, uh... <laughs> It's a little difficult to understand some of this stuff sometimes because of the possibilities that exist within it. Continuing. Everett's concept of multiple worlds and outcomes could be the key to why thoughts are causative. Or put differently, why reality bends to the vantage point of the observer. It's not so much that our thinking and perspective make things happen but that we choose from among things that already exist in potential, like the superposition of a particle in a wave state. If thoughts register data, then a shift in the use of the sensory tool of thought, like a physicist deciding whether to take a measurement and the perspective from which it is taken, 
determines or alters what data is experienced based upon how your thoughts and feeling states are used they expose you to different and coexisting phenomena ah okay so that's why he likes Neville Goddard so much because that most closely or excuse me the new thought leader that most closely gets this right without knowing anything about quantum physics is Neville Goddard so let me try and put this in terms in general terms let me let me see if I can wrangle this in my head all right so quantum theory has discovered so this we can put this as a as a baseline reality bends to the vantage point of the observer how do we know this because the thing does not exist until it is observed therefore somehow the thing knows it is going to be observed know that it is being observed knows a place where it needs to go to be observed at it can't know this any other way but by our thoughts our thoughts going on currently our thoughts that we've had in the past our thoughts that we might have in the future so thoughts register data to shift in so if thoughts register data then a shift in the use of the sensory tool of thought like a physicist deciding whether to take a measurement determines or alters what data is experienced okay and because again back to Schrodinger's experiment both Death and life can exist for the same thing at the same time because of other realities, other worlds, multiple worlds, multiple realities, multiple universes. The cat is both dead and alive at the same time. So even though the physical reality around you informs your senses of how you're supposed to interact, the sub-reality, I guess you could call it, is that that's only because that's what you expect to find as that one person put it where was it do 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 nope 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 where is it nope the other one haha <laughs> um from mr robert lanza his theory that we die because the mind perceives demise. Our thoughts directly influence our lives. Period. End of story. They determine how we interact with people. They determine uh, what jobs we go to. They determine how we interact with our bosses, our co-workers, our spouses, our kids, the government, authority, everyone from birth to death and that perspective changes all the time based on new information you can choose what thoughts to have that's the crux of it 
And because you can choose what thoughts to have, if you want to follow this particular vein of science, all right, you can then select what reality you want to experience. I'm going to say that one again because this is the simplest terms to explain what I've just explained to you in very scientific terms. Because the mind is the instrument of measurement, and because you get to determine and choose what thoughts you have, now you can let it run on, on default, and you all, you all do it. We all do it, alright? Um, 70,000 thoughts a day. Right? We all do it. On default. But you can also choose a thought. You do it when you meditate. You do it when you daydream. You do it when you get inspired. You do it when you're determined and all the odds seem against you. Right? If you're having a problem pick, uh, figuring that one, right? You're, let's say you're in a race. And you're exhausted. Your body's telling you, I can't go on, I can't go on, I can't go on. Nope, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. You're choosing the thought of, I don't care what my body says, I'm going to make it. You're going to push through. That's choosing a different thought. Or, uh, how about another one? Uh, like the one I, I like using is when everything's going wrong around you, choosing to be happy anyways. There is no outward external stimuli to inform you that you should be happy. You are choosing to be happy anyways, which means you are intentionally choosing thoughts. And choosing mm -hmm. to think thoughts that are hanging. Sorry. Alright, you're choosing... That was a phone call, I apologize. So you're choosing, on purpose, different thoughts. Because you are choosing different thoughts, you are choosing... You are changing your emotional state right you're doing it on purpose so because the mind has the ability you the body has the ability the complete symbiote of the body the soul the mind all that going on within the person that you are okay you have the ability to choose your thoughts so therefore because the mind is the instrument of measurement you then get to choose your reality okay So, let me see if... Uh, We're not going to get to the end of chapter 11 today, which is fine. But I will get to the final subchapter before we sign off for the night. So, I'm going to continue. This outlook finds its closest mystical analog in the ideas of Neville, who reasoned that the individual, through his feeling states and mental pictures, selects among infinite realities and outcomes. Of course, most quantum physicists wouldn't be caught dead alive as Schrodinger's cat dealing with the theories of Neville. But there is an elegant intersection of possibility between his theology and the quantum theorizing of Schrodinger and Everett. This trifecta presents the most compelling explanation I know for the extra-physical impact of a sustained and directed thought. Neville argued that everything you see and experience, including others, is the product of your own individual dream of reality. Through a combination of emotional conviction and mental images, he taught, you imagine your world into being. 
and all people and events are rooted in you, as you are ultimately rooted in God, or an overmind. When you awaken to your true self, Neville argued, you will know yourself to be a slumbering branch of the Creator, clothed in human form, and at the helm of infinite possibilities. We all have this experience within our own dreams of reality. I'm wondering if that's where Mr. Dooley got his uh, idea from. Continuing, I think we face greater barriers to this realization than Neville surmised. For one thing, we are at times so incapacitated by our psychological and emotional limitations that we cannot harness or experiment with the mind's higher mechanics. Hence we must, and can, pray for salve in the traditional sense in order to feel sufficient morale and faith to exercise the agencies of thought. Here you may consider me at risk of doing what I have criticized in 19th century mind power writers, relying on theological references. And that is true. My best efforts to theorize unseen laws do not, in the end, disabuse me of a notion of the ineffable, to which one can make a prayerful or petitionary appeal. What's more, I'm not sure that we can, in this conscious existence, experience the personal surpassing of physicality in any but the most extraordinary moments. The cures recorded by Ainsley Mears did not erase the cycle of life and death. Ye shall die as princes. That was his quote. Although nature is infinite and ever expansive, a fact experienced by the mind, which is, by, which is in a way an organ of the ineffable, we, as branches of the higher, may not, in these bodies, know infinite renewal. Basically, no, energy doesn't die. No, this is just going to continue on and go on and go on and go on. But this particular physical body that you have has an expiration date. You might get to string it out for as long as you can, but this particular body that you're inhabiting right now has an expiration date. And we're going to stop there because we have one more little subchapter. I thought we were going to get to it today. Apparently we're not called using it. And I think that will actually just segue me into uh, the afterword tomorrow because the afterword's not even a page and a half long. And that will be the end of the Miracle Club. So, ooh. Okay. I've said this before, and I was trying to come up with a better answer, because remember I was having problems with Mr. Uh, Dooley's um, glossing over? Like, I I've had that problem with a lot of New Age, or not New Age, but New Thought Movement, uh, New Thought Leaders, is they tend to gloss over all the atrocity bit. And I came to the conclusion of this. Our internal algorithms, our processes, our subroutines, all the programming that makes the body work, okay, it will not let you access higher mind mechanics if you are in a state of stress. 
And how do I mean stress? I mean... The concept has been before... Okay, so why can't people in war-torn countries just manifest their way out of it? Because you are entrapped in a life and death struggle. As long as you're trapped in that life and death struggle, as long as you're trapped in a struggle that precludes safety, the mind won't let you go any farther until you're safe first. Unless, this is my only unless, unless it is to manifest safety. Because what ends up happening is when you're in that kind of a stressful environment, uh, I mean, that, that's been proven. It has detrimental physical effects, okay? Your stress level goes up, your cortisol goes up, your hormones go out of whack, you put on weight, or you lose a really lot of weight. Your mental fatigue just crushes you and you can't do anything, okay? The internal threat response system that we have, we've dubbed the flight or fight response. It's internal. It's hardware. You can't get around it. You're not going to get around it. All right. To the point where if someone gets in your face and is aggressive and loud and shouting, I don't know if you've, uh, and I hate to use this as an example, but it's a good example of um, people protesting and they get up right in somebody's face and they're shouting. I hate to break it to you. But the body actually shuts down at that point. The And I can't remember if it's the hippocampus shuts down the amygdala or the amygdala shuts down the hippocampus. But you are biologically prevented from remembering anything that person said. You won't remember it at all. You didn't even hear it. You are biologically, physically prevented from remembering anything that person said when they were getting right in your face. You might remember a couple snippets, but the most prescient thing you're going to remember is that that person was just mean and angry and in your face. You won't be able to tell anybody what they were angry about, except for maybe a couple of gloss over bits. Alright. So I like what Mr. Horowitz put in here when he says we are so, sometimes we are so capacitated, excuse me, hang on. Oh, sorry. Hiccups. That sometimes we are so incapacitated by our psychological and emotional limitations that we cannot harness, harness or experiment with the mind's higher mechanics. You have to be in some place where you feel safe enough to go into your mind. That means a dwelling that you can lock. That means time to yourself where you won't be disturbed. Okay, which... sounds like a cop-out, but unfortunately, we have biological processes that we can't just ignore. And our internal threat detection system is really, really sensitive. Alright? It's picking up our subconscious, is constantly scanning our entire environment 24-7. Okay? constantly you're not going to escape it so it's been my observation and this is that's the conclusion that i came to 
you can't start to experiment with some of the stuff. Manifesting, uh, or I guess you, in Neville's words, selecting. Going into quantum physics, all these other kinds of things. Unless it's in a safe enough environment for you to know that you won't be attacked. Or that you might have to suddenly get up and leave. You know, maybe a bomb goes off nearby and everybody's forced to evacuate the apartment. Or the apartment complex. Or the bomb goes off in the apartment complex. Right? Some of the uh, horror stories from Syria and um, back when that was prominent in the news. Right? Everyone's seen that image of the father giving his daughters a bath in a bathtub. And the entire rest of the apartment is gone. I don't even know how he filled the bathtub. I don't even know if that's Photoshop, but that made, like, that made the internet rounds. Because it was sad and it was poignant. In those situations, you do the best that you can with what you have. But you... There's a body process that prevents you from being really able to experiment with those higher mind mechanics until you are in a position of safety. Or what it considers a position of safety. Does that make sense? So I just want to make sure I put that in there. I, 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 the body is a fascinating thing. Fascinating thing. Okay, so we'll come back tomorrow at what he calls using it. And we'll see what that has to do with uh, manifesting and all of that jazz. And right now we're going to do our two-minute brain break because that's oh that was a whole lot of heavy in that one so go ahead and do a little wiggle and get in a little stretch and we will do our two-minute brain break alrighty go ahead and close your eyes and take a nice Slow, deep breath in. And let it back out. And let's take another nice, slow, deep breath in. And let it back out. And just let your awareness settle into the space. And breathe. Let today just let yourself get lost in the music.
Alright. When you're ready, open your eyes. Quick one today. Apparently I am requested from other parts of the world. So. Wonderful stuff to ponder. I hope this has been mind-expanding and you've learned some new things and you've thought some new things and you've experienced some new things. We're going to finish off Miracle Club tomorrow. I'm kind of tickled on what book I'm going to pick next. <laughs> so, again, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your patience. Thank you. Thank you so much for your patience. Thank you for your presence. Have a fantastic rest of your evening. This is the podcast, Sassafras. Good night.